Hey everybody, we are Martin, Robert, and Francis, and this is Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Hey everybody, welcome back to Snakes and Otters. This is episode 67. I am Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. And listeners, we are practically giddy today. We are together. The Fellowship of Snakes and Otters. Uh, We are not recording uh, remotely this time. Um, we're very excited to be here at Studio M doing a live in-person recording. Hey, yeah, yeah. It's five it's, months. That's right. It's yes, been a five long, months. It it's been a long time, <clears throat> as Mick Fleetwood would say. Yes. And this is also a special episode in that we have a special guest today. My son Bjorn is sitting in with us because he is uh, all about this uh, particular topic. And that topic is Ragnar Lothbrok. Man or myth? Or both. So that's today we're going to be discussing uh, the historical figure of Ragnar Lothbrok, the Viking. And uh, a little setup here. When we originally planned this episode, listeners, uh, the reason we invited uh, Bjorn to be our special guest is he was due to be back from a study abroad trip uh, this summer. And um, he was going to be spending the summer... Um, studying in Scandinavia so uh, his dream come true Um, so that of course that did not happen as all that kind of thing was canceled in the wake of the pandemic but we are moving forward we're not letting that deter us we are moving on so say hello Bjorn hello (laughs) welcome to Bjorn that's correct (laughs) who's quite the expert on this subject Uh, you know just because he couldn't go doesn't mean he didn't do the independent study right yeah i mean you know there there are readings that we had to do you know about viking legends myths uh various stories so makes us all a little giddy doesn't it (laughs) yes this is pretty amazing so let's start off uh bjorn how about just a little background on who ragnar lothbrok was uh, well, he was a legendary king in Denmark and the, around the late 700s, early 800s. He is a notable figure in a few different saga stories. Like the, he, He's in the Icelandic sagas. He's in uh, the Gesta Denorum, which is a Danish source. He's also in a lot of uh, Saxon writings, Irish writings, and then Frankish writings. Uh, he was the father to a lot of very famous uh, Viking figures that raided all across Europe. You know, Bjorn uh, Ironside actually made it to Italy and further uh, east from in the Mediterranean. And Ivar conquered England and Ireland along with his other brothers during the invasion of the Great Heathen Army. I gotta say, of all of the, the sons that he had... Sigurd Snake in the Eye has got to be my favorite name. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> just, okay, I just had to put that out there. Yeah. Well, so, the, the uh, basis of that name is very interesting, which I'll, I'll get into once I start talking more about the myth behind uh, Ragnar and uh, the story that precedes him. Right, so he is, a, he is thought to be a genuine historical figure. Yes. And the, and the sons are attested to be genuine historical yeah, figures. The, the sons for sure are. The sons for sure are real people, and then Ragnar's father, Sigurd Ring, is a real person. Ragnar Lothbrok, it's a bit different of a story. He's There's some version of him which is 
probably true. And then there's some version of him that is just myth. It's just... There's know. been much controversy, depending on yes. who you talk to. Some will say, oh, absolutely, he was. And others say, you're, full, you're all wet. He never yeah. was. Yeah. Well, and, if we know that the father is real... And the, those that are his sons, are we sure that they are actually his the, all brothers so that there is a common father? There is a common father. Some of them are half-brothers. Right. And, uh, well, but not uncommon. Is, well, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, one of, one of the consistent things about Ragnar that we will find out is he was the definite horn dog, <laughs> as, we, as we will learn. So, yeah, the common father, then, there has to have been an historical person. Uh, yeah. Because we know his father, we know his sons. So. That's right. Yeah, somebody did. Question: right. Question is, and is it anything like the stories we have? Yeah, exactly. And there are many stories that attribute that there is a Ragnar-like character in these various places. Okay. So, uh, I guess the the basis behind uh, Ragnar is the, there's the there's the story that comes before him. There's it's called the Volsung Saga, which if you've ever heard of like Wagner and his operas, that's the Siegfried story. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, just in, in German. It follows uh, Sigurd uh, Fafnir's bane, and uh, Sigurd Fafnir, he uh, Fafnir's bane, he kills the dragon Fafnir, mm-hmm. uh, which is really just the giant snake, and uh, this plays into the name Sigurd Snake in the Eye. So uh, Sigurd, Sigurd Fafnir's bane uh, marries a Valkyrie named Brynhilda. And they uh, have a child together. After they sing a lot, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Lots of singing. I mean, the only thing I know about Wagner is... uh, uh, Kill the Wabbit. Kill the Wabbit. Kill the Wabbit. That's right. Yes. But uh, they had a child together named Auslug. And she... uh, When she is born, she basically gets sort of shipped off to a Norwegian peasant family. And she goes by the name Kraka, which means crow. So, uh, after that uh, comes the story of uh, Ragnar. So, his f- actual name is Ragnar Sigurdsson because of the way that they did naming it's Patrick right, Nimic, right. you're named after your father. And his father is Sigurd Ring, the legendary king. I love it, the $10 word, patronymic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's well. uh, not common in in uh, English speaking no but it is still used in Russian names Uh, all all Russian all Russian family names use a patronymic uh, either either masculine or feminine exactly as their both their surnames and the middle name that's that's not really a middle name it's a patronymic name uh, yeah. It's it's a it's it's very alien to us they, in the West, yes, but in the East, it's it. very common. They also still do it in Iceland and the Faroe Islands. That's right. It's all yes. that. It's all an Eastern yeah. uh, concept that's came up. I kind of like it myself. I think it's something that we've lost in many yeah. ways that they've retained. But you know, it's, a, it's an interesting concept. It allows them to like look back in their history and so you absolutely sure exactly make genealogy a lot easier. Yeah, that, that's, that's, true, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. Well, you know, family is one of those important concepts, and anything that supports that, hey, we're in for that. You know? Yeah. So uh, to get more into um, Ragnar, uh, there are a few different sagas, uh, namely the Icelandic sagas. That are called the Saga of Ragnar Lothbrok, Ragnar Sona Fotter, Heims Kringla, Hervarar Saga, Sogebrots, and uh, all these basically tell Ragnar's story at various uh, points in time. Uh, he, uh, early on in his story, he uh, 
it's more of the marriages in the Icelandic sagas. So he uh, is described as like the biggest and fairest of the men uh, in, in Scandinavia. He took after his mother, mother a lot. Uh, he, and uh, his first claim to fame in the stories is he first killed a giant snake that guarded the the house of uh, Thora Borgerhjort, which became his first wife. And when he fought the snake, he wore a special type of pants uh, that were uh, shaggy. And so that's where the name Lothbrok comes in. It means shaggy pants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not the most flattering the name you can get a hold of. I mean, all he got a hold of was pants. Yeah, basically. Whatever it takes, I guess. Yeah. That's right. Well, all right, Mr. Shaggy Pants. All right. All right. So uh, his, with, with Thora, he had two sons, Eric and Agnar. Um, but uh, unfortunately, Thora died uh, later on. Uh, and uh, Ragnar remarried uh, Kraka uh, before knowing that Kraka was actually Auslog. So together, they had uh, many more sons. They had Ivar the Boneless, uh, Bjorn Ironside, and based off of the Danish pronunciation at the time, most likely, most likely Huitzerk, uh, and Ragnvald, and then Sigurd Snake in the Eye. So, and listeners, I'll just I'll interrupt Bjorn here. Um, yeah, this, the, he's serious about this business. He's even researching the pronunciations from from the 700s, and he has his drinking horn, his Viking yes. drinking horn, right here on the table with him. Yes. So now he does not have bourbon in his. No, uh, he is not yet of age. He's not yet of age. But uh, we all have finally, as I promised, a glass of bullet bourbon. Indeed. Uh, that I finally was saving for this occasion. Finally cracked it open. Finally cracked it open, and I'm very pleased. Um, yes, it's pretty uh, solid. Robert and I have uh, actual uh, drinking glasses from Bullet. Yes, here, uh, which is kind of cool. I was grateful for you for uh, for saving that for us. For yes, us. they've, they've not been used at all. Oh yeah, so sir, we, we, we can inaugurate this that. Is, yes, this is a, a very fine bourbon. This is uh, got a nice burn. Mm-hmm. Uh, that stays in the, the mouth, the top of the throat, uh, as opposed to an angel's envy, which uh, tends to, to burn down into the, the stomach, which is interesting. Because I don't know how you get it to stay up there, but all right. Just the way um, it works. And, the and flavor, it's nice flavor, yes. Yeah, the flavor staying on the tongue a little it longer. It is. It's, it's definitely not sweet. There's no sweetness to it no, they, at all. No, it's I don't, it's, I don't get it's that got that dryness shirt. to it. But it, uh, The actual... Product it, it, it styles itself as frontier whiskey, even though it is bourbon, uh, and, and it says it's bourbon if you read a little further. But it's a, uh, it's got a bite to it that n- some of our other stuff sometimes the stuff the right. the devil's cut you had has a similar yes, this, bite. Well, I think this is much milder than that. Yeah, it, it is. It is yeah. smoother. Smoother, I would say. Yeah, smoother. Yeah. 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 Uh, smoother. It's woodsy, a little woodsy, like the uh, old tub. Word. That's a very good that, word. That yeah. oaky wood. Old well, tub. Yeah, because old, old tub is unfiltered. Yeah, and it stays. This on, doesn't like have that. It stays on viscousness. This a is a little longer. This is cleaner. Yeah, but it's 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 potent. It's fecund. We like those great <laughs> words. You know, we can come up with all sorts of wonderful words for this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's great. But you're Bjorn. You're talking about the sons. So the mm-hmm. sons are part of. How we know at least some person named Ragnar existed because yes. eventually, as you mentioned, the sons will come to lead what's known as the Great Heathen Army yes. that really did invade England mm-hmm. in the 800s. 
And all of that basically starts because of the raid in 793 of Lindisfarne Abbey. Uh, but to tie this into pop culture, for goodness sakes, Vikings nails this pretty darn accurately. Uh, as Considering yeah. there's, you have multiple yeah, sources somewhat. here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they, they synthesized it because yeah. you've got multiple sources from different languages and different approaches, so it's not meant to be a regurgitation of that, but they've kind of created this consistency among them. And, of course, it starts at Lindisfarne, uh, yeah. which was a... It was... It was an apocalyptic moment for the Saxons. It Saxon. was a serious turning point in, it, 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 in, in Saxon his, history. In Saxon yeah. history, that's right. And uh, uh, in fact, uh, and I'll, I'll give a slight plug for the great courses, which I love to listen to. They do mm-hmm. uh, uh, one of the uh, one of the series that I've subscribed to with them is Great Turning Points in History, and Lindisfarne is one of them yeah. because everything changed with yeah. that because there no longer were there two separate cultures and countries. They all came together as you might suspect, violently, yeah. and change the course of things from there. Yeah. But go ahead and talk but it's about all, it. It's all been on, it's on TV. Yeah. So if you want to visualize this, uh, both Vikings TV series and The Last Kingdom, which we'll get into that a little bit later, does a damn good job of laying this out. Something that was not, uh, not in our culture uh, cinematically before that, other than the, uh, the uh, Kirk Douglas and Tony Curtis movie, uh, The Vikings... Great movie, by the way. Fantastic movie. But that's about it. You didn't do much with this before. Yeah. Well, you know, <clears throat> our conception of, of, of history really only goes back to Hastings. That's right. That's right. We're very pro post. We're a post Norman English yes. English people. That is that is the watershed moment. Before that, it's kind of terra incognita. Even though, ironically, Alfred the Great is the only English king styled with that uh, with that title. And afterwards. there's a reason for that. And there's a reason for that, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Bjorn. So, uh, essentially, uh, at this point in Ragnar's life, his sons have grown up and they've become very famous. They've become essentially more famous than he has, and so not wanting to be outdone, he makes an oath that he's going to conquer England with just two ships, which horribly backfires. Uh, he gets <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine yeah. that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he gets captured by King Ayla of Northumbria and uh, then summarily executed in a snake of pit, uh, pit, pit of snakes, sorry. Uh, yeah, as executions go, which is usually where a lot of folks tend to focus because they're brilliantly dramatic moment. This one's unique. Can't, yes. can't understand snakes. anybody. Why did it have to be, be snakes? snakes. <laughs> I, I was hoping somebody would go there. That's but exactly that's right. Post Lindisfarne. I mean, Lindisfarne. Yeah. Oh, that was, that was years later. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Lindisfarne is basically where they discover that there's this other land to yeah. their west, which is which is interesting because at this point, you know, Proto-Germanic has split off into different groups, cultural groups, linguistic groups, and so Old English and Old Norse aren't that different like it's only been you know a few decades but they've already lost all these records or or history of there's this other group of people that is from like you know the continental europe they just don't realize that this is hey well yeah this is only this is only three centuries uh three or four centuries after the fall of rome so all those connections that were so tight before are no longer and they've Mm -hmm. just kind of done their own thing and uh, uh, Europe has been Northern Europe is definitely not Christian, still pagan. Yes. Whereas the Saxon kingdoms uh, of of what would be we would call England today are highly Christian. 
which get leaves very it, recently becoming very Christian. very much yeah. so. That's correct, Augustine of Canterbury. And that's a very important point. England is not a single polity. That's correct. At this point, the, it's that, Northumbria, uh, West five, five essential Sussex, kingdoms: Mercia, yeah. Mercia is the biggest. Yeah, Ang- East Anglia. East Anglia. That's right. Uh, all those together have, in many respects, tribalized. Uh, and they're even though they're ethnically the same, even though they're religiously the same, uh, which actually pays dividends when the, the pagans come. Oh, my, my dear brother and friend, you know, uh, you you Christian, let's go together and knock out the pagans. It doesn't. It's like the French and Robin Williams. That's, yeah, that's right. Oh, you Americans, get out of here! We hate you. Oh, the Germans are here. Oh, we love you, Americans. That's come exactly on, come right. in. Come it's in. exactly right. But that's important in that these are all these separate polities that have to get along. It makes them very vulnerable to an invasion by a yeah. determined adversary like the Vikings. And, yes. and yes. it's or only the, through the Danes or the that, North. That is correct. Whatever you would and call it. And it's only through, and I'm, I'm not trying to get ahead of you here, Bjorn, but uh, only through the greatness of, in many respects, one man, Alfred. Yeah. It's his vision. It's his vision. That's correct. And that's one, England. England. That's correct. Uh, uh, his grandfather had talked about it a little bit, uh, Eckbert, which we see very brilliantly, uh, portrayed, portrayed by Linus Roche in the in the Vikings uh, series. Uh, he had the initial vision, but he couldn't really make it happen. Alfred, under duress, of course, essentially brings into birth modern England, and uh, we have a lot. We have Ragnar to thank for that in many ways. Yeah. But can, you know, we we don't mean to steal your thunder, but that's what we do here sometimes. <laughs> we're we're free flowing there. We're free flowing, but please continue with your uh, with your discussion here. So after uh, Ragnar dies at the hands of Ayla, word comes it comes back to the sons, and the show this comes in the form of Odin visiting all the sons, uh, the sons hearing Ragnar's last words, like how how the little piggies will grunt when they hear how the old boar suffered. That's more of the mythology behind like his story and how the sons actually come together. But nevertheless, they in history they come together, they form the great heathen army, and they invade and basically make all the English kings their bitch. So <laughs> uh, like, very well put. That's yes. correct. Yes, yes. North Northumbria falls. East Anglia falls. Mercia even falls, which supposedly couldn't happen, with only one holding out. Yes, and that would be the great kingdom in the south of Wessex. So, uh, in the the story, the saga, the sons capture Ayla and they execute him by a very brutal method called uh, Blood Eagle. Oh yes. So what is Blood Eagle? So Blood Eagle is essentially uh, a person is stood up on a podium with their arms outstretched. And their back is cut into with a knife, and then the skin's pulled back. So then the executor then takes an axe and chops away at each of the ribs to where they pop out. And then the lungs are pulled out and draped over the shoulder. And all of that is done while the person while is alive. alive. Yeah, yeah so right. you're basically, in a way, you're also suffocating from the blood going into your lungs and pooling. Um, and there, there's, a, there's an extra bit of myth, uh, myth to it. Keep in mind, Bjorn, we've just eaten. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, the, the Viking series shows this. There's an episode entitled yes. "The Blood Eagle." It's not. It's not Ayla that does this. It's while Ragnar does it while he's still alive in the show. That pretty much lays this out on yeah. screen. I it mean, as gruesome. much as you can get away. Yeah, it's all gruesome. It's for it, sure. it's pretty darn clear what's going on here. Yeah. And then there's a bit of extra mythology to it. Is that a person being executed by Blood Eagle? 
uh, was not allowed to scream or make any noise. And if you could do that... What are they going to do? Yeah, what are but, they going to do? But here's the thing. If they did that, they were granted access to Valhalla, basically. It was another oh, way I to see. try and get into Valhalla, like a last-ditch effort. You just couldn't scream. Right. But, well, Ayla could care less because he's he's. Yeah, he I thought you meant like there no were some idea. extra penalties. Like, what else are they going to do to him? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was more of a it was a challenge, more, yeah. more so than extra penalty. Yeah. So, but of course, Ayla, yeah, didn't he could care less. Yeah, That's yeah, right. Yeah yeah. 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 So, so the invasion of the Great Heathen Army then starts a essentially two hundred year period where the the Danes. Um, Occupy at least some portions of the British Isles. Not just oh, yeah. the Danes, but the Norwegians too. Yes, I mean, well, right. but the Norwegians tended to go more north into Scotland. Scotland, yeah. and, but the Danes are in uh, well, well, Northumbria, well, Northumbria, Mercia, and East Anglia, and it becomes called the Dane Law. Yeah, yeah that's and the Dane, government and Dane, they set up. It almost becomes Dane Land, uh, which ultimately is what England would have become. It would never have been England. It would have been Daneland had. Yeah. Wessex essentially been con- conquered, and oh, from that point forward, it would all have been Danicized, to, to use the term. Yes. Uh, but Saxon and English culture th- not only thrives, but it it rises again. Yeah. And as based we on know, that, they, they, of course, intermingle. And exactly. And it, it does form a new culture, which there's there's that's one of the things that we don't get really well. The Danes well. don't really leave. No, that's correct. <laughs> yeah, they, become, they become English. You know, yeah, well, uh, sort, as, sort of English. Sorry, I mean, but the, the yeah. Saxon and the Danes be- create this new English race, which is pro- well, proto-English race, because it's only with Hastings and the infusion of the Norman French is that the true English people that we know today, not British, English, that's what they're, they're, they're an yes. amalgamation of all those yes, three and peoples. that would eventually be 1066. Mm-hmm. And, That's right. Uh, the, the, Which is 200 the, years pre, you know, yeah. after yes, all I mean, this. Like we say, the, the throne of England passes back and forth between Saxons and Danes a well, couple yeah. of times. Well, yeah. Canute was one of the most famous uh, and best of the uh, pre-conquest uh, monarchs. You know, he's not as famous as Alfred, but he's pretty darn close. And he was Danish, completely. They they make a deal and let him be be the king of all this 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 proto England mm-hmm. at the time, which was being known as England. So it's a fascinating s- subject of how everything is homogenized yes. together. So they, well, there wasn't they, much, there wasn't a long road to go for the homogenization, though. As right. Gern pointed out, it's how we can. There's a very common uh, yeah. route to both the Saxons and uh, the Danes and those that are coming in. And when you think about it, I mean you. Uh, the Danish lands basically sit on top of Germany. Yeah. So there's back and forth between them uh, yeah. already, which is which is obvious in modern day Germany with Holstein and Schleswig. They're, they're, it's very Danish and German mixed together. Exactly. It's kind of like along the French border, you have a lot of German and French yeah. intermingling in, in terms and what have yeah, you. Right. You can really see that during Christmas time too. Oh like, yeah, the, I'm sure. The difference yeah. between how uh, Germanic people celebrate Christmas and how French people. Yes, so yes. Christmas, and it's it's blending there. That's right, and that's the beauty of the thing for modern for us for today. That's a reason that you, most Europeans speak more than one language. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a commonality is that they're 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 very not they're multilingual in many respects, which we Americans totally don't get. Well, yeah. I mean, but most, it, as I pointed this out many times, people don't those that are non-American they sometimes forget this. It's easy when you are in Europe or somewhere else. To pick a second language because it's either going to be English, 
because that's what Americans speak, or it's going to be whatever country you deal with the most, mm-hmm. which right. often is you know America. But that's easy for us. What's our default second language? Sure. It's a lot harder for us to pick sure. because wherever we go, there's almost always somebody who speaks our first language. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There's it. it it, it just doesn't happen much. I mean, uh, Spanish in many respects. From uh, if you're down south, it is you're coming by default the 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 second language. Yes, right. Uh, a little bit of French, perhaps, if you're up in the way up in the north. But that's never or maybe in Louisiana. That's true. There, there's there's still a cultural uh, uh, connection down there that they have they have embraced. You know, that's not been allowed. That's mainly New Orleans thing. That's right. It's, it's, it's still there's, a, there's they, also they, German in Pennsylvania. That's great. Like, right. I mean, there's there's multiple places like that where you still have in Dutch as well. well it's not. Bit. It's it's a misnomer. It's not actually Dutch. It's a, it's a version of German that is called Pennsylvania right. well, Dutch. Well, right, exactly. Is Deutsch. Right. Yeah. That's, exactly. That's the other it, thing. Exactly. Yeah, it is yeah. German. It's just yeah. a. It's that, that's how it's it's yes, Germany's yeah, quite a lesson in that too. Mm-hmm. In that we tend to think of that as a relatively new phenomenon. This idea of blending cultures and blend that America is a melting pot. Every history, place is a melting. History pot. History is a melting pot. That's correct. Rome was a melting pot. Very uh, much so. You know, the Saxon kingdoms were a melting pot. The the, the thing about the Saxon kingdoms that makes it so a fun is because it was happened in a relatively short period of time in one crucible one island kingdom so all of, we get to watch it happen because of the great documentation of history that yeah, it's had. like what darwin in the galapagos i mean it's a it's a laboratory it's a you laboratory can you can, you, yeah you can get your arms around it because like in america it's harder to see because it's very regionalized but this was a countrywide phenomenon that took place over a relatively short period of time 300 years maybe well, you know, geography aside with, with the size of our country, you know, one of the reasons why I think what makes uh, us as, thought of as a melting pot more than so than other places is that while there was an indigenous people here, the melting pot took place over top of them, replaced them <laughs> yeah. as opposed yeah. to, you know, mingling with them. Yeah. I mean, there was obviously some mingling with the indigenous right. peoples, but unlike in England yeah, or anywhere was, else yeah, they that were, people moved into, there was very little mixing. And so the mul- the melting pot that happened here was totally self con- in a way, totally self-contained. Right. Uh, and that's what I think makes this kind of melting pot more unique than, than yeah. in others. And it's also, you know, the entire country was founded that way as opposed to, oh, you move into an area that's already populated and you, you melt together. So... So... 200 years of history, they finally, pretty much the Saxons, take the kingdom back, mm-hmm. only to have one Get Norse... The Normans, you know... Replaced by yeah. a whole different Norse background in the Normans. Irony of ironies in the, in the, uh, is that the Norman French themselves were not really French. They were they were Vikings. They were yeah. Norse. Because... The, the the TV show lays this out pretty well, uh, although it's they get a little funky with their history. Ragnar and Rollo, yeah. or they're, they're, they're really they no relation. They never existed at the same no, time. No, exactly. But the, it's it's a it's a way of tying these two things together. But yes. the, the ancestor Rollo from the TV series is the ancestor of the Norman French. Uh, they were when they basically decided we want all the nice things you French people have down here. Uh, the French, uh, as they are so often prone to do, says, let us buy you off. We'll give you this little area called Normandy. It's yours. 
be us. And that's ultimately what happens. That's, that's the origin of the, that's the, origin of of the Normans. Normandy is it's the land of the Northmen. That's exactly Normandy. right. Rollo and his crew came down there and his families and all of them and they essentially built in 300 years a French Norman it, it was unique. It was far more powerful than the pure French if there is such a thing. The Franks were at that time. They had a strain of shall we say, violence or conquest in them that ultimately made William the Bastard decide to cross the channel and lay claim to England. Yep, so they traded one one uh, Northman for another. That's right. And, but, and therefore, but even that ties a bit to Ragnar because there's a raid into all the way to Paris. Right. Yes, so, so supposedly a Ragnar-like figure raided into Paris. So this now, is where the myth starts to come in. Yeah, where a different source says maybe he went to Paris. Somebody but, did because yeah. the French are pretty clear about what happened. Yes, it's yes. very well uh, dramatized in the TV series. Yes. Uh, they they, they, they kind of tie everything together and make some presumptions. Yes. But it's still pretty but Even pretty if awesome. it wasn't Ragnar, it's basically his, his myth going ahead of him yeah. and that the French or the Franks at that time are terrified. Rightfully that, so. That the, the Northmen have that reputation. That's right. And that's and, why they end and up. That's part buying, of Ragnar's myth. That's right. And that's why yeah. they end up buying them off in the end. And that itself is a fascinating thing when you think about it because let's put this in context of the rest of European history. <clears throat> Pardon. This is approximately uh, 845. Is that right? I believe so. Because it's, it's near the end of his life. Uh, yeah, this is, this is 50 years after Charlemagne. Exactly where I'm going. Oh, this I is, to steal your thunder. This is, bar- this is barely two generations at best yeah. after Charlemagne. Charles the Great uh, is what Charlemagne means. And that is when the Holy Roman Empire is established. That is basically what we know today as France and Germany and a good deal of the uh, lands south of what we consider Germany now, Czechoslovakia, Austria, Hungary, Northern Italy, Northern, possibly North, yeah, Switzerland, all of that. Yeah. yeah. So all all of this was the new entity called the Holy Roman Empire. This was a big deal because this was the turning point from what you might and you know you and I, you know, I we've talked about, uh, many times about whether or not the Middle Ages is the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, mm-hmm. or because I contend that there's very little darkness, uh, certainly beyond the that's Holy right. Roman Empire. Once Charlemagne, no that's right. Once Charlemagne comes, he is the light. Exactly. And, and after you can you can make the case that prior to him it was dark, but after that, definitely not. Right. It was, everything was sti- well. By the time he gets to the point where he's reorganizing Europe into the new Holy Roman Empire, uh, it had settled into its rut. But yes, it, you know, it was definitely all on the way up from there. Mm-hmm. No Charlemagne, there is no Renaissance. That's right. You know, there, that that's a so this being only forty five years past the declaration of the Holy Roman Empire, it to me is a fascinating thing because who would have thought that these barbarians, for lack of a better term, uh, would have the ability to drive all the way to France in, mm-hmm. in, into Paris and sack it? 
Well, just that's 45 you, years. That's what you get for putting a city on a river. It, well, <laughs> that's yeah. the thing, though. All cities are on rivers. That's exactly. You know, but they were on an island in the middle of the river that went all the way through the heartland of France, which, of course, the Vikings took advantage of. Well, you I mean, know, Shakespeare called it the, the world's greatest garden. I mean, France was, I mean, there's lots to love about, about France. It's one of the most beautiful. Yeah, except for the French people, it'd be wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, that, that, was, that was a joke. We, we love our French people. We love our French listeners. I'm sorry we're speaking English. I know that's very good of us but nevertheless uh but france was civilization as jean-luc picard would say yeah uh and it's in it for that for this to be threatened by these northern barbarians i'll give the french credit here they knew they could not resist them militarily they tried yeah. and they saw it very quickly Count Odo did have some success he, oh he did away. that's correct i mean they, they were not they didn't just roll over yeah. and to, to tie this all of course to charlemagne the the tradition in these Frankish uh, kingdoms was not to keep the polity together right. and let someone inherit it. The tradition was to split it up amongst the sons. Right. And that's why it all came apart because Charlemagne split it between sons. And Which is what happened it. to him, ironically. It's what he inherited himself and he ended up taking his brother Carloman's stuff and putting it all back together again. Only uh, to plus, then divide it back. Only to, yeah, which is, that, that, there's, a, there's a fallacy for you. I mean, that well, just you know, make you could make sense. the argument that by doing so, he may have uh, allowed the Holy Roman Empire to, to last a thousand years. Into the because really it lasted until the uh, to the eighteen hundreds. Right. Napoleon's the was finally uh, you know declared or it dead. It could be what crippled the Holy Roman Empire because there was no clear uh, uh, line of not line of succession, but there was no clear uh, one ruler. Because right. you know, well, it gets very quickly to the point where you have all of these prince electors mm-hmm. uh, that choose who the new emperor is going to be, and, and it, it was it sh- the mess that created the Germans. That's right, exactly. It, it, it shrank away. The French themselves decided we don't want that. We will yeah. do our own thing. And if, by the time you get to Edward the Third of England, you got him essentially declaring himself at one point uh, the Holy Roman Emperor, and it didn't didn't last. But uh, because they're all intermarried, they've all got claims. Right to all these things, yeah. and and it really gets very difficult at times. But it's part of what fragments and, and makes it where they can't hold off the Northmen. That's exactly right because yes. they because they are unified. The Northmen are not politically, but just by for a bad cause. You know, we yeah. want your stuff, and we're willing to come and get it from you yeah. because they're, you have nice things. Yes, we don't have those things. They are the more... Negan of the ninth century. Oh, very good, sir. That's right. We want your stuff. The Vikings are also more culturally unified than a lot of other places in Europe because the what the difference between what would be in Old West Norse and Old East Norse it's not that different. Yeah. You know, they they have a very common language, you know, slight dialectal differences. They have a very common religion. Right. Might not have been practiced the same, but yeah, they but still had a very. It was it was wide culture. enough though. Paganism yeah. it, by by its general nature uh, allows for variations. Yeah, uh, but it was the same flavor, uh, right? Essentially, it's, uh, sure. It's, it's maybe the, not the same flavor, but it was the same branch of paganism. It was all the what we would call the Norse gods. Today. Yeah, the the yeah. pantheons were essentially the same. Uh, yeah, in, in areas that mattered, you know, you could yeah. have your local ones if you wanted to, but you still had, you know, Odin, Thor, and all the rest. Or, or in the you know West German areas, you know, Woden. Yes, Thurs, absolutely. Yeah. Ultimately, same dance, different tune. Yeah. literally just a difference in how the language mutated and went off not entirely unlike how the greek gods became the roman gods yeah 
Yeah. Not quite as... Although the Romans technically stole them. I, so. yeah, I was about to say Romans that. Yeah, that was, that <laughs> yeah. was the stole. This, this was more natural. Yes. Uh, more but organic. I mean, the, 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 it's, it's, well, all analogies are imperfect, but yeah. by their very nature. Well, yeah. yours are usually pretty spot on, so, yeah. sir. I'll give you that. So, Bjorn, uh, you're doing a tremendous job. And listeners, uh, I want you to know, Bjorn's college major is not cultural anthropology. He's actually yeah. a physics major. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, as you can tell from from uh, uh, this discussion, uh, he loves this stuff. Well, He's a great example of you know, well, we we all four of us attended the same great institution. That's correct. Uh, and it, I think it's this show. I think is the outgrowth of our attendance of that great institution that we call Bellarmine College slash University for yep. Bjorn, and that is. It was a you know for all of our critique of it as of his of its adherence to its Catholicism, it is still a great example of a liberal arts education. Oh, ding ding ding! Because right. it wasn't just about training you to do a specific thing. Right. Uh, it was yeah. about uh, teaching you to be a better person. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't understand it then. But I see it now. Yeah. Yes. We are well educated. Yes. And that yes. and Bellarmine deserves a lot of that credit. Training us to be seekers. Yes. Well, that's right. Yes, exactly right. Uh, where we, we, we're constantly looking for more information, more depth. And what it means. Broader. And yeah, what, what, what search for meaning. You know, it's perfect quick, for Bjorn. Quick plug for my theology professor, my first semester. He said it was our vocation. Sort of. What, yes. That's exactly no. right. I mean, it's, 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 who it's, was that, Professor? Uh, Dr. Choi. Dr. Choi. Okay, uh, okay yes. exactly. Uh, because None of the people we had would still be there anymore. Yeah, no, Dr. Uh, Choi, is a, he's a relatively new professor. But we, uh, Bellman has always had a, tr- a robust theology department. Uh, call yes. out to uh, some of our great professors. Father, Kilcourse. Father George Kilcourse, I was going to say. Uh, I've, I've had, in my profession right now, I have had contact with him at very good times. He's still uh, out and about. Still one of the most uh, brilliant minds that there are out there uh father hendrickson may he rest in peace mm-hmm. he taught us logic uh there were there, uh, philosophy and theology are requirements at bellarmine and you know hey raise a glass to that folks because uh we can bemoan the state of american education today a lot but there are still plenty of islands of great learning out there and bellarmine is one of them yes so that was a great segue in where i wanted to take uh Bjorn next in that um Talking about this idea of being seekers and the the broadening of our learning and our experience in that we've talked about this, the historical Ragnar Lothbrok, but where he's really a big deal is again in that mythos, that mythology. Mm-hmm. And in our show prep, in our, in our pre-show discussions, we began talking about how important mythology is. Every culture has a mythology. Mm-hmm. And it serves a purpose. And, and we talked a little bit about, you know, myth is kind of a dirty word these days. That people feel it just means it's something completely false. It's, yeah, you're right. you know, Apollo hauling the sun across the sky in a golden chariot. Well, but myth in something being mythic serves a purpose. It, it tells a story about your aspirations. Um, a culture's mythology is aspirational. Mm-hmm. Myth is, a, and we were talking about this in the show prep too, myth is a format. 
it really is not in, and just because there are plenty of them that have no basis in reality like Apollo uh, which is seeing something and making some sort of extrapolation based on that you're seeing the sun moving across the sky, sky during the day so you, well, you create a something must be pulling it that's right <laughs> that's a very different thing even though it's all under this great umbrella of word called myth than what you're talking about with Ragnar Lofbrok or even it, all of our cultures have this great mythological piece, which is basically taking our stories, taking these truths, and you've sometimes said kernel of truth. I don't even like that because sometimes it's a whole heap and bushel of truth. It's lots of truth that's right. formatted a certain way to make it stand the test of time. To well, make in many it, ways, make it descend. <clears throat> it's the it's the spaceship that carries the travelers through time. I think uh, I think the best way to understand myth is not the common way, which is uh, seen in how everything is fact-checked by supposedly impartial people, because it's described as either fact or myth. That's right. If, if it's not 100% fact, it's therefore dismissed. Exactly. And that is bad. <clears throat> and unfortunately, uh, people think they have a right to their own facts, but they don't. Uh, even the fact-checkers sometimes have a right, uh, so to speak, to their own facts. But where I'm, <clears throat> pardon, where I want to go with this is that when you think about myth, especially when you're talking about the underpinning of a culture, it's not so much uh, always uh, explaining things we don't understand, or even it's, it's a way to give meaning, and by meaning I mean those deep philosophical questions, because that's what the show is about. That's, that's what we're famous for, yes. Uh, yes. It is it's about giving meaning to what it means to be a people. Mm -hmm. To me, that's the best definition of, of myth. So when you look at the what we uh, would call now the Norse mythology, uh, all of that, it wasn't necessarily so much about, well, our god, our sky father, whatever you want to choose to use to describe him, is Odin, and he has these sons, blah, blah, blah. All of that part is not so much important as what do you take from them that forms your culture, right? So the, the Vikings being a very... Uh, Warrior-centered uh, uh, race. You know they were. Uh, well, I mean, they weren't just warriors. They were traders. They were. Well, yeah, you know, yes. they were people that lived, you know, their own lives. I mean, the. the I don't the, mean that they were only about conquering. Yeah. You think about the what it means well, to be a warrior. The conquering part was just a byproduct of the fact that they were very well off in terms of food. You know, yes. they, yeah, well, they, they didn't raid for food. They had so much food. They had an excess of food. They went raiding because they, you know, why not? Well, because they, could, yes. they were they were expansionist, yeah. which is. But that's 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 a cultural thing. That is a cultural thing. There's a there's there was a possibility that if things would have happened just slightly differently, you know, Sweden could have taken over more of Eastern Europe. The, you know, the Norwegians could have gone more into the United States, and then the United States could have been just a Norwegian colony. You sure. Know, they, they expanded. That, that, that gets talked about a lot, right. which is usually an excuse to try and repudiate the English roots of our founding, but uh, that's another thing. Right. But, but the, the Vikings even went as far... There's Viking runes in Constantinople. Yes. Uh, Hofdan was here. It was the the runes that were carved yeah. in the Hagia Sophia. Russia is, the, is a, a term... For the Rus, the Rus Vikings, yeah, and they—that means people that came from the north. Uh, That's right. They yeah. displaced the Vikings. Displaced the original inhabitants of. They they took the, over Kiev and yeah you know, well yeah whole, yeah ultimately that, yeah they were not area. the Russians are not purely Slavic. Uh, we, we say that today because the word Slav today means something very different than it did at the time. But the Scandinavians, the Northerns, the Poles, and all those things. 
basically came into Russia and remade it themselves. This is way back. Yeah. And by the time they, they're, they're raiding into Constantinople, because there's something, and I guess it's, we've kind of danced around this, there's something about this Northern European character, genetically, culturally, I don't know, but it's persistent because you'll notice that all this Scandinavian Northern European culture inserts itself into all these other what we would call dominant cultures of Europe. Europe. That's correct. Well, that's right back to where, and I was getting ready to turn it back over to you, Robert. Uh, Go for it. (laughs) It's a great circle, you know, finally get around back to it, but that's where I was going with, uh, you know, the myth is what we aspire to. It's what, Mm -hmm. what we give, what we look to for meaning about ourselves. So when I was talking about them being warrior-like, it wasn't necessarily about being, you know, they're about the conquering, but when you think about what a warrior is, strong and brave and all of those things, uh, that I think most people recognize, yeah, we could attribute that to, to Vikings. We attribute that to a lot of people, but the point is, though, I think the Vikings, they didn't have gods that were distant. They had gods that they wanted to be like, as yeah. most people probably do. And I think you... To understand them, you have to understand their pantheon, because yeah. that I think definitely forms yeah. them. Yeah, if, if you look at like the roles of <clears throat> different gods, Tyr was their mo- most important god for war. But then again, Odin also was associated with war, and so was Thor. Mm-hmm. Even uh, you know, I think sometimes Frigg was also associated with war. They they had gods that filled multiple purposes, right? And they, so when you look at all cultures, mm-hmm. I think. The mythology. So let's look at American culture. Uh, many would say, "Well, we don't have a culture." Well, but we do, because we are so young. We we see it more clearly as more historical than mythic, mm-hmm. right? Because when you talk about something that is mythic, there you also lose a little bit of that historicity because it takes on a, a, a bit of, for lack of a better term, a little bit of magic, in the sense that it is the, the chroniclers uh, have to fill in the gaps. Yeah, and they use their imagination. Right. Imagination. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so when you look at us and you look at somebody like George Washington, you know, the whole chopping down the cherry tree. Yeah, that's a good American and myth. Yeah. throwing the, the dollar, the coin across the Potomac. All of these things are probably not true. The, the coins almost certainly is not. Um, but you look at these things and they tell what it means, what we think it means to have been George Washington, about his character. Mm-hmm. And his character is something that we aspire to even today. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and looking at the historical Washington, there's a lot of basis for that. Right. Yeah. So it's the, we've got the advantage of having good records historically and the myth together, so we can kind of notice where the two are the same and where they're not the same. But in most cases, in these ancient cultures, we don't have that luxury. Yeah. For we've example, to extrapolate. For example, I mean, with the Icelandic sagas about Ragnar, these were written a few hundred years after Ragnar was dead. Like. Absolutely. Because so, while the the Vikings and the, the Northmen they had a writing system, they just didn't write down everything as detailed as say the the they, Christian monks and, they, and yeah Ireland they didn't or, see the need for that. That was you're right. That's a that's a very Frankish thing. That's a very Christian thing. Yeah. Uh, and the Christians were very good at that. But the pagans absolutely not. So well, the, so the, much the, of the that's Icelanders. Lost to us. The Icelanders were the first real group of people that were very literarily mined. They they wrote down all these stories. That were first passed down word of mouth, and then 
the, the when they became Christianized and they started writing down more, they didn't have as much of an animosity towards it. They just wrote it down and were like, well, you know, this is what they used to do. This is how they right. really worship, you know. Right. So, and well, uh, maybe in the north of Europe, but I mean, you know, the writing down about what happened, that goes back to Rome. Yeah. That's correct. So, that's where it... It, that, that's a, that's a leftover. To, that's to a leftover from that. Yeah, we lost a lot of what the Greece, the Greeks wrote because they had their own dark age, dark ages, uh, well before Christ. And you know, this whole idea that you write it down is important because it does keep the the, the what is mythic, the the mythology, consistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it, it may not be real in the sense that it's a history book. But it's real in the sense that it is meaningful. Mm. And that is, is what is it's important. It's a search. Yes. It's well, a yeah. search for an identity. It's a search to understand what you are, mm-hmm. who you are. So, yeah, it's, it's civilization. Ultimately, the civilization is that we hold these things in common. And one of those essential foundational components is our myths, our stories. Are these are things we value not necessarily for themselves, although they are great stories just taken from themselves, but they also, as because they're myths, they say something more. We want to be like these people. Yes, it could be the opposite. I mean, the Greeks and the Romans, their gods, uh, we were playthings in in their in for them. Uh, yeah. Right, but if you th- look at that, yeah, that is what formed the Greek empires before. The Romans took them, away, and especially the Romans. Mm-hmm. Everybody was their plaything. That's because that's you, an emulating their gods. Ding, ding, ding! Exactly. Our myths create our culture. Yeah. You well, know, just, it, it goes it, back and forth. Well, exactly. It, they're, they're they're symbiotic with each yes. other, of course. Uh, a little modern aside to that: after the Vikings TV show became really popular, a lot of guys started doing the the Ragnar Lothbrok haircut, the the shaved side. Oh yes, we've yes. seen it, we've seen it out there. Yeah. Yeah. People trying to emulate the character sure. in the show. That's, uh, yeah, because especially as he's portrayed by Travis Fimmel, who Travis Fimmel, who did a, such a great, great oh, job. Fantastic. Several really good Well, yeah, let's, I, mean, I don't want to single just him out because they did a fantastic casting job uh, on all those major roles uh, yeah. through there, and we probably ought to give a shout uh, uh, to Catherine Winnick uh, as Lagertha, who has her own mythology. That they've yes. kind of brought into this and tied together. Uh, well, her mythology is more based off the Danish account mm. of uh, Ragnar Lothbrok. Because in the Icelandic sagas, Lagertha is nowhere to be found. Like right. she, she didn't exist in, in the Icelandic sagas. Yeah. See, that's, there's so the, the there's well, a, yeah, it's what's important to those who wrote. That's yes, exactly yes. right. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and I'll and I'll give a little credit to the History Channel and all the folks with regards to both that and the Great Bernard Cornwell with uh, the Last Kingdom. Uh, saga that put all this together and brought this back to a cultural awareness that I w- I'm afraid was lost before that. We hadn't, we didn't, we didn't know details about this, and dang on it, we should have. As well, like you I discovered, said, our yeah. history began at 1066. That's exactly right. Yeah. You know, even when you think about the history classes that we took with the great Maggie Mahoney, that's right. History still began at 1066. Mm, that's. I know, isn't it amazing? And before that, oh, you went back to Rome, and you talked about Charlemagne a little bit, but all well, of this stuff I'm talking here. About the English history, because right. you know, obviously, from uh, from Rome, the city from uh, Christian Rome, on up, that's pretty well documented. Right. But for a people that primarily started uh, on that island, yeah, they, that's where most of the you know, uh, formation of American culture comes from—is that island, mm-hmm. and. 
yet we still only go back slightly less than a thousand years. Yeah. And that was still very formational, as we've talked about here. You know, without Ragnar Lofbrok and what, whether it is myth or reality around him, mm-hmm. very much played into the founding of That's right. it, the Norman England. Exactly, because you had to take these three diverse, very diverse groups of Saxons, Danes, and Normans, which of course were Danes, sort of, kind of, all together, and create this new people, this English, uniquely English people, you know, shame on us if we're not understanding that, because the English people that resulted from that, the same people that uh, made the world England, uh, created the British Empire, and won World War II, and all, and all, all, all with help, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all, the, all those great things. They were seekers, too. They were and seekers. The, the irony of that, though, is that in, in England, in modern English schools, they actually do teach about the Viking invasions. The, we don't do that. That's in see, Exactly. I'll give them credit on that. They should... It is. It is. We need to understand that. Is that yeah. yeah? We have a strain it's of, so important to of their the Norsemen. Yeah. And the irony Authors, is, in this day and age, where we speak too. of the beauty of diversity and of multiculturalism, we're essentially disregarding a huge portion of that. Uh, that that is in a cultural background of well, so many. Yeah. That that diversity. It's going to sound critical of diversity, and it's, it's not the way it, it's meant, but. It often is finds its expression in ethnic diversity more so than anything else, mm-hmm. as opposed to the backgrounds of how you, how everybody got here. So, because the uh, the ethnicity of the the country has been written by white white people for the most part mm-hmm. that have a relatively common origin, which is vaguely called Europe, even though yeah. it comes from many places in Europe. Uh, that's all considered one as if the story has already been told and we don't need to talk about it, but there's so much behind it. That's right. Yeah. There's a, there's uh, the tapestry is not far the, richer. It's not we, that the rest of it is not worth looking at. No. It's just, it's all worth looking at and we, we do a disservice to all of it when we don't look deeper than that's right. that ethnic label for the diversity. Well, yeah, label, l- labeling is ultimately dehumanizing anyway. We know it that. Is. Uh, it, the, it's, I think the, it's useful for categorization, yeah, but unfortunately, ways, but that's often misused for all sorts of other purposes. The, the intention is here is we should be granular. We should understand the real roots of what we're talking about here, because there's richness and power there that comes from all these pieces molding together to create a greater a yeah. greater result. Snakes and honors is is all about seeking the and tying together these sinews of the human experience. Ooh, ooh, write that. Somebody write that down. <laughs> We've recorded it. Of We're the good. human experience. That's correct. I love that. That's right. The yes. internet's forever. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, the, the myth of Ragnar Lothbrok is part of those sinews and we need to explore it. We need to know it. And if a TV show like Vikings does it, that's great. If a podcast does it, that's great. Mm-hmm. Bjorn, you did an outstanding job. Thank you for being with us. We're going to wrap up the episode. So, Francis, what is next, buddy? Oh, we're going back to Code of Honor again next time. We always have great fun with those. We always come up with something we pull wherever we pull it from, I won't say. And Robert manages to bring it all back together and hammer it into a beautiful work of art somehow. Don't miss it. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. 
Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us. And please, remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel.